Well, I will start off by saying the clock's missing and I don't have a watch, so I'm sorry. (laughs) All right, we're going to start off in Isaiah um, chapter 7. Uh, we're going to talk about Ahaz, King Ahaz tonight. So I'll just go ahead and get started. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but it could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed to Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees Of the woods are moved in the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now and meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct, from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint hearted, for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have plotted evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its walls for ourselves, and set a king over them, the son of Tabal. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within sixty-five years Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you will not be established. And here's our key tonight. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. And when I read that, I thought, man, Ahaz is a smart guy. You know, why would you want to test God? And then I thought, I need to read a little bit more about Ahaz. (laughs) Turns out Ahaz wasn't a very smart guy. And his decision here um, not to test God was probably a good one because he and God did not have a very good relationship. It's not like he was close with God and or he followed any of God's statutes. He actually was pretty deliberately um, blatant with his disobedience towards the Lord. So we're going to go ahead and, and read about King Ahaz. And there's a couple things that I want to point out. Um, we'll come back to this passage because right after this, Isaiah says, you know what? I'm sick of you. You're making the people weary and now you're making God weary. God's going to give you a sign, and it's going to be the Messiah. And as I was reading, I'm like, whoa, hold up. The Messiah, the son of promise, Emmanuel, came as God, through Isaiah to Ahaz, this evil person, as just a sign. You know, ask God for a sign. What if I, uh, 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 King Ahaz chose something else? What if he decided for a different sign? And see, it points to how omniscient 
and omnipotent God is. God knew the, the heart of Ahaz. He knew Ahaz wouldn't challenge him. He knew that Ahaz wasn't walking with him. And so he, he knew, being all-powerful and all-knowing, he knew what King Ahaz would do. So let's go ahead and take a look at the, the life of King Ahaz. So if you would, turn to Second Chronicles uh, chapter 28. Um, King Ahaz was like many other kings. Um, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. If you read through First uh, and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, there are very few kings who actually did good in the eyes of the Lord. Um, but Ahaz was one of those that you could bundle together, and you may be able to say that he was one of the worst. So we're going to start with uh, verse one. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king and reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and he made molded images for the Baals. He burned incense in the valley of the, of the son of Hinnom, and burned his children in the fire according to the abom- abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel." So he sacrificed his children, he burnt them, um, and again, going back, and, and when we read in Kings, it says he caused his children to walk through the fire, uh, which is what um, the, the, the pagans would make their kids do. And so he's clearly not following the Lord. Um, and as we look at this, again, I go back to the passage in Isaiah, and Isaiah says, Ask a sign from God. Ask for a sign. And he asked King Ahaz, who clearly didn't have a relationship with God. And I thought, man, think about that. It's the first mention in Isaiah of the Messiah, the promise, Emmanuel, God with us. And, and here, this first mention of it is coming through this evil king. And God actually put, it, put the ball in his court. God, as pastor always talks about, you know, God working through man. God gave Ahaz the opportunity to ask for a sign. And he said, no, I'm not going to test God. I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I won't ask for anything, nor will I test God. I thought, man. And so, let's read more. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Therefore, the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. They defeated him and carried away the great multitude of them as captives, and they brought them to Damascus. Then he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who defeated him with a great slaughter. So, he's also burning incense. And so he's going around doing priestly duties. So, clearly, his understanding and his uh, relationship with God is not there. The burning of incense was uh, something that was set aside as a priestly duty, uh, initially um, given to Aaron. And it was something that God had set aside that would happen in the morning and in the evening on the gold altar in the temple. And he's just going around under trees. You know what? I'm going to offer up an incense here. I'm going to offer up an incense here. And so his relationship with God is just, it's out there. He's just doing whatever he wants to do. He's not paying attention to the scripture. He's not listening to the oracles that God had placed there in his life. 
Um, and he's not following and living according to the word of God, nor putting his trust in God. So if we can skip ahead to... Um, Twenty-two. Now, in his time of distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. So, the pressure comes. And this is like the things that we've been listening to on Wednesday nights in the desert, and how you respond in that pressure. And so, pressure comes on to King Ahaz, and as the pressure intensifies, he becomes increasingly. Uh, his behavior becomes increasingly worse, and he stops following even more uh, the word of God. And it says, increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. And so, I would say to you, how do you react? In those times, those pressure times, how do you react? Do you, are you increasingly faithful to the Lord in those pressure times? Or are you increasingly unfaithful in those pressure times. And they can be small pressure times. And I need to tell you a story. Uh, actually, two stories. It's kind of funny. It happened yesterday and today. So, um, when the people moved out of our house, they left this glass tabletop. Um, it was like an outdoor tempered glass tabletop. And it was annoying for the first two months because they left it there and I didn't know what to do with it. I thought about breaking it and just you know, tearing it apart and disposing it that way. And it sat there, and the previous owner was supposed to come pick up his canoe. It's still at my house. And I thought, well, maybe he'll pick up this tabletop. Maybe he wants it. Well, after him not coming for a while, I told Carrie, I said, I'm going to build something for that table to sit on. I grabbed some two-by-fours, and I don't know, half hour later, I've got a table. And it was pretty sturdy. It fit really nice, nice and snug. So we, we painted the... Uh, the wood uh, to match the tabletop, and we go and we buy an umbrella, and do all this work. And it was it was like a you know three days worth of work because I built it on Thursday night, Friday we went, and then Saturday night we got home, uh, a nice day with Carrie's family, and the paint was dry. I could put the tabletop on. I put it down by our pool. I go and put the umbrella in, and I slide the base over, and I bent down to put the umbrella in the base. The umbrella tilted. And the tempered glass shattered everywhere. And so I know that that's a small time of distress. But my kids are in the pool. My project for four days is now ruined. And I just, we almost have to laugh because it was like, (laughs) are you kidding me? So I tell mom and dad that story today. And we went over to their house for lunch. I go to the bathroom and come out. And dad's table shattered. He did the same thing. And mom, mom made, made the comment. She said, you know, as I've gotten older, I always think, how are you going to act when things like this happen? How do you react? You know, the kids are around. They're watching. And so in times of increasingly, uh, increasing distress, do you become increasingly faithful or unfaithful to God? And I'll tell you this. That one I handled well. Um, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, I didn't handle one very well. And I was very mad and very upset. And I remember thinking, man, I haven't been this mad and upset in a long time. And those are small things. Now, imagine being the king, and you now have two enemies coming at you. Okay? Two enemies. 
and you've been taken captive by one, you've been taken captive by another, what are you going to do in that distress, in that stressful time, what are you going to do? Are you going to rely increasingly on your faith in God, or are you going to turn away from your faith? So I want you to see what King Ahaz does. So, in this time of distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. That is, that King Ahaz, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, because, uh, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped him, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. And so he said, you know what? That worked for them. I'm going to sacrifice to their gods. And so he turned away from God and sacrificed to the gods of Damascus. And so when the pressure came, when he's in that pressure situation, he turned to false gods. He turned to idolatry. And he decided to make sacrifices to other gods, to foreign gods. And so we as Christians in this day and age, and everyone's always watching. You know, as Pastor said this morning with softball, everyone's always watching. And you know what? There are times in softball when it's really frustrating because you think, I should be able to hit a softball. I should be able to hit a softball out of the softball in the infield. Sometimes that doesn't happen. And sometimes you strike out. And sometimes you, you, know, you miss a ground ball. Or, you know, and, and it's greater than that. It's, it's greater than the game of softball. It's being a witness and knowing why you're there. But it goes to that even in our life. Our life is greater than what we do every day. Okay? It's greater than our jobs. It's how we react in those situations. And, you know, um, there are times in, in my job where I get high-pressure situations, and I get parents calling me, and they're mad, they're angry, and they're cussing me out, and I'm just like, how do I react to that? You know, and, and, and we always have to turn back to Scripture. A soft answer turns away wrath. And so many times when I would answer a parent with a soft answer, it's amazing how they go from 100 down to 40. You know, they, they start to see things a little bit differently because I'm not being hostile to, towards them. Um, so he begins to sacrifice to the kings of Syria, or to, to the gods of Damascus, because it helped the kings of Syria. And he said, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were actually the ruin of him and all of Israel. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut into pieces the articles of God, uh, the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And so he made altars in various places throughout Jerusalem. He closed up the temple, and we'll learn more of what he does at another time. I mean, it's the same time, but he actually closes the doors, so... You don't have access to um, the inner courts and to um, the, the mercy seat of God where the presence of God sits. He closes that up and he puts altars and he's sacrificing and, and making uh, burnt offerings and incense offerings to these gods, uh, the gods of Damascus. He's taking foreign religions and pieces of his religion and putting them together. And he's mixing and matching. And so he places these, uh, these altars in, in every corner of Jerusalem. But I want to focus on the fact that he was burning incense. 
And if we go to Exodus chapter 30, it's important to point this out. You shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit shall be its width. It shall be square. And two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. And you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold. And you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both of its sides. You shall place them on the two sides, and they shall be the holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps, and he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year, with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is, the, it is most holy to the Lord. And here you have Ahaz going around, taking the, the, the thought of burning incense, because he's not even doing it correctly. He's doing it to foreign gods. He's not doing it to Yahweh, to the God of Israel. He's doing it to foreign gods. He's taking this practice of um, Judaism. He's taking the practice of burning incense and he's doing it towards pagan religions. And he's making his own altars and he's taking the duty of a priest. Aaron, the first priest, he's taking a priestly duty and making it that of a king, which they were specifically told not to do. That the king was not to perform priestly duties. And moreover than that, they were specifically told not to take this um, concoction, this specific incense, and use it for other things. They were told not to use it for perfumes or for burning other incenses outside of the most holy place. And so he's completely just running all over the word of God with no care. And he has no care for what God has and the plans that God has in the the law and the statutes of God. So if we go to 2 Kings 16, we can see more about King Ahaz. Now remember, this is the guy that Isaiah went to and said, ask God for a sign that he may prove that he's faithful to you. Ask God for a sign. And he says, no, I'm not going to. I, I don't want to test God. Well, again, because of his response, Isaiah says, God's going to give you a sign. That sign is going to be Emmanuel, God with us. And so, again, I can't help but think that God gave him an opportunity to ask for a sign. What if he would have asked for something different? But God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and knows the hearts of the people that he works through. Sorry, I'm not in 2 Kings. So 2 Kings 16, verse 1. 
In the seventeenth year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was twenty years old when he became king, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem and did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God and his father, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son passed through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on high places, on the hills and under every green tree. Then Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to make war. And they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. At that time, Rezin, king of Syria, captured Elath for Syria, and then drove the men of Judah from Elath. Then the Edomites went to Elath, and they dwell there to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel, who rise up against me. And Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and its treasuries and the treasuries of the king's house and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. And so the pressure comes in on Ahaz, and he says, what's he do? He calls man. He calls powerful men. He calls uh, Tiglath-Pileser, who is the king of Assyria, and says, hey, come save me. And by the way, here's the gold from the, the treasuries of the Lord and the king's treasuries, and gives it to Tiglath-Pileser as, as payment for coming and saving him um, from Raisin and Pekah. And so he's feeling this pressure. He's feeling... Uh, the pressures of the world, and he turns to worldly things. And we see this so many times uh, in ourselves and in our Christian brothers and sisters where the pressure happens, things come, the storms come, and where do we turn? We turn to worldly things. We turn to um, the things of this world rather than turning to the Lord. And God even gave him, op- gave him an opportunity to say, hey, Ask for a sign. Ask for a sign that I'll deliver these two from, or deliver you from these two. In 65 years, they won't even exist. Ask for me a sign. And he didn't even want to. He said, no, I'm I'm not going to test the Lord. And so the king of Assyria heeded him. For the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took and carried its people captive to Ker and killed Rezin. Now the king, a- now king Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And king Ahaz sent to Urijah the priest, the design of the altar and its pattern according to all its workmanship. Then Urijah the priest built an altar according to all the king Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Urijah the priest made it before king Ahaz came back from Damascus. And when the king came back from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached the altar and made offerings on it. So he burned his burnt offering and his grain offering, and he poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of the peace offerings on the altar. He also brought the bronze altar, which was before the Lord, from the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the new altar. And so Ahaz goes to Damascus, and he tells uh, Uriah, who's the priest at the time, he says, hey, 
here's the drawings uh, of a altar, and I want you to uh, I want you to build this altar for me." And so Uriah builds the altar. Ahaz comes back from Damascus and just starts doing priestly duties on this uh, altar that is, you know, taken from Damascus. Again, a foreign god, a foreign altar, and now he's taking priestly duties and doing them on the altar. And so he's just, it's like a hodgepodge, right? So he's going, well, I, uh, you know, I like this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make uh, burn incense and, and, and then I'm going to do a burnt offering, and I'll do a grain offering, and I'll do a drink offering. Uh, we'll stick to that of Judaism, but I'm going to do it on this altar, and I'm not going to let him do it. I'm going to do it. And so he's picking and choosing. That's 2016. Okay? It was the same in, well, what do you, uh, 600 years before Christ. Okay? It's, it's the same thing. Okay? People just want to pick and choose. How many people nowadays say, well, you know, I want to be a Christian, but I don't really care what it says right here. We're just going to take that part out. Or I'm going to pick this part. I'm going to pick this one piece and make it fit to my life. Listen, if you can't accept this as the infallible word of God, there's the door. Seriously, this is the word of God. It's the infallible word of God. If you can't take all of it, you don't get any of it. Amen? That's the bottom line. And you know what? King Ahaz, he didn't understand that. He didn't care to understand it. He didn't care to understand the scriptures. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He didn't care about those five books. Because if he cared about them, he would have not entered into the practices of the priests. He wouldn't have gone and done those things. He would have allowed the priests to do those things. And so here we have your, um, the, the, the priest, or sorry, the king doing priestly duties. And then he says, you know what? I don't really like this altar. The brazen altar. I'm just going to put it back here in the north side away. And I'm going to get myself a new one. There. Okay. It's better. All right. There we go. Do what I want. I'll take the parts of Christianity that I want. The parts I like, I'll make my own religion. I'll take, you know, it's like a buffet. You know, you can go to a salad bar. Pick your lettuce, pick your toppings, pick your cheeses, pick your dressing. Ahaz did it 600 years before Christ. We're doing it in 2016. Not much has changed. Here's the great thing. King Ahaz was an evil, evil person. Okay? He did evil in the sight of the Lord. But through King Ahaz comes the promise of the Messiah. The promise of God with us, Emmanuel, comes through communication with this evil king. And when you read Matthew chapter 1, his name's still listed. He's still in the lineage of Christ. Somewhere between King David and Babylon, the the captivity in Babylon, you'll see King Ahaz's name. He's still a descendant, or Christ is still a descendant. He's still part of the lineage. God still chose to do good through him. Because 
Here's the thing about God. God's promises are true. He sticks to his end. He is faithful. Even when the pressure's on King Ahaz and King Ahaz is unfaithful, God is faithful. Let me get my notes. Thirteen. So he burned his burnt offering, his grain offering, and he poured a drink offering and sprinkled a blood of peace offering on the altar. He also brought the bronze altar, which was before the Lord, from the front of the temple and from between the new altar of the in the house of the Lord, and put on it the north side of the new altar. Then King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, On the great new altar burn the morning burnt offering and the evening grain offering, the king's burnt sacrifice and grain offering, with the burnt offering of the people of the land and their grain offering and their drink offerings, and sprinkle on all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice. And the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. So he says, hey, listen, we're going to do all our sacrifices. It's like a rundown. He's recreating uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do all our sacrifices here. And I'm going to leave that altar right there just in case I want to inquire by. If I want to seek guidance, right? Inquire means ask questions from. See, that right there shows that Ahaz didn't understand the word of God because that was, it was a place of sacrifice for atonement for sin. It wasn't an oracle of God where they sought direction. It was a place where they went to kill things, okay, to cover the sin of the people. And so he said, well, if I need to inquire by them, I'll inquire, you know, I'll go back to that one. If I need any, you know, any guidance or direction. And see, this is the biggest problem because when the people of Israel wanted kings, God was offended because he wanted to be their king. He wanted to be the king. He wanted Israel to view God as their king. And see, when they, they sought a human king, what happens is the human king gets in the way. And he leads people astray. Uriah listened to the king. When the high priest was the top of the line and there was no king... The high priest communicated with God and then communicated to the people. And they want a king, and so they got a king, and this is what kings do. They now corrupt the priest because Uriah just listened to the king. He followed what the king said, didn't follow what the scripture said. It gets worse. Thus did Uriah, the priest, according to all the king Ahaz commanded, And King Ahaz cut off the panels of the carts and removed the labors from them. And then he took down the sea from the bronze oxen that were were under it, and he put it on pavers of stone. The the sea was where the priests would go and they would wash before they would take part in their priestly duties. It's also a symbol of the Holy Spirit, right? The sea of water. So he takes down the resting place of the Holy Spirit and he takes down that which the priests clean, clean themselves before they go perform their duties. And so let's look at uh, Exodus chapter 30, verse 18. So back to Exodus, <clears throat> verse 18. You shall also make a laver of bronze with its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and you shall put 
water in it. And Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, the, to, sorry, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. But King Ahaz doesn't care. He's performing the priestly duties. Who cares about washing ourselves clean with water? Who cares that in Exodus, God said, wash yourself before you do this lest you die. So they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die, and it shall be a statute, a law, forever to them, and him and his descendants throughout their generations. And King Ahaz, again, just walks right all over the scripture. Doesn't pay attention to the word of God. And that's why it's so important for us as a church to know the scriptures. If we don't know the scriptures, what happens is, see, this was the new altar, right? That's what King Ahaz said. On this new great altar, let's do all of our sacrifices. See, if we don't know our word, when the new things come along, what do we do? We go, oh, okay, let's jump right in. And we start picking and pulling things that we've always done and adding it to the new things. That's not what we're called to do, church. We have to know our word and say, nope, that's not what Scripture says. No matter if you're called a bigot, no matter if someone says that you hate people, we don't. The first two, what does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. We're still called to do those things. But we can't give up what the word of God is and what we believe. Understand? Amen? Also, he removed the Sabbath pavilion, which they had built in the temple. And he removed the king's outer entrance from the house of the Lord on account of the king of Assyria. And so, I mean, the king of Assyria had to have a lot of influence over him because the king of Assyria saved him from um, Rezin and Pekah. So, let's go ahead back to Isaiah chapter 7. We left off at verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. And so in this account, it sounds actually like Ahaz has his mind together. Like, hey, I don't want to test God. But as we've seen the life of Ahaz, the truth is Ahaz didn't know God. And so how could he ask something of God if he didn't know him? And when the pressure happened, what did he do? He became more and more unfaithful. See, there are two types of people. When the pressure happens, you either become more and more faithful or you become more and more unfaithful. And if you become more and more faithful, if the Lord says, what do you ask of me? If God is asking you, say, hey, what, what can I do for you? And there are those times where you're like, God, if you could just send me $20. And he provides. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. And so... God works in that way. He works with us. But we either become more and more faithful or we become more and more unfaithful. Then he said, and this is Isaiah, Hear now, O house of David, it is a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. And so the sign that Isaiah 
tells uh, Ahaz that that's going to happen is Emmanuel, God with us. It's the, the, the prophecy of the Messiah. God gave Ahaz the opportunity to pick that. Who would have picked that? If God asked you, hey, I know you're in a tough time. I know you're in the desert right now. What do you want from me? I mean, one thing. Almost like a genie. You know, you get one wish. What's your one wish? And he says, ask of me a sign that I may prove to you that what I'm telling you is true. That in 65 years, those two kings will be gone and off this earth. They'll be taken captive by the Babylonians. Right? So he says, what, ask me of a sign. I wouldn't have picked Emmanuel, God with us. I wouldn't have picked the Savior of the Gentiles. I wouldn't have picked the king of uh, an eternal kingdom, the lineage of David, you know, the one that was established forever in, in, second, uh, in second Samuel. I wouldn't have picked that. I would have never picked that. See, God is all-powerful and all-knowing. He knew the heart of Ahaz. He knew by asking Ahaz, hey, what's well, a sign that you would want from me? He knew that Ahaz didn't even know him. So how could he ask of God something? He didn't know God. He didn't know God's statutes. And so God says, you know what? I'm not even going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to give you a sign. And it's going to be Emmanuel, which is God with us. And then as we go through Isaiah, it just gets even better. Verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. And when the first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali... And afterward, more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and the Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. We know that great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. He's prophesying of the Messiah, the coming of the Christ. For unto us a Christ, sorry, uh, verse 6, for unto us Christ... Christ is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, upon the throne of David over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From, the time, from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Jesus being a descendant of Jesse, David's father. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit and the, uh, of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by his, the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and, he shall, uh, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Think about how, how Jesus ran his ministry. When he talked to uh, the, the righteous people of the time, he used scripture. 
He struck them with the breath of his lips. And Isaiah prophesies that 600 years before Christ is even born. And when you look at that uh, verse 3, um, his delight is in the fear of the Lord, and his, he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. If he was going by hearing of the ears, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had all the right things to say. They knew what to say, right? They knew the scriptures. They quoted them. But Jesus came knowing the word. He came to fulfill the law. Righteousness, verse 5. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. In verse 10, and this is the thing that you and I can rejoice about. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner for the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. We now have a resting place with him. We can seek Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, the Messiah. We can seek him. And we have a way to be grafted into the vine, to be part of the good news. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, bonded together. There's nothing greater than that. And that's the greatest part of this entire story is King Ahaz was wicked, but God still moved through him. God continued to use him even in his wickedness. And when you look at our country and you say, oh my gosh, I, I don't know what to do. It's 2016. Do I pick Donald or Hillary? Doesn't matter. God's will will prevail. God's plan will prevail. He's faithful. He's true. As pastor preached this morning, our faith is in him. We can't look with our eyes. We need to walk by faith, not walk by sight. Because even in this time, if you were, uh, let's say you were uh, spiritual and knew your scriptures and were sitting back watching King Ahaz, would you not have ruled over and start? I, I mean, it, it makes me sick to my stomach. The more I read about him, I'm like, he, he doesn't even care. He has no bearing for the word of God at all. He doesn't care about the scripture. He doesn't care about the meaning of the altar. The burnt incense represents the uh, intercession and the prayers of the saints. The brazen altar represents atonement for sin. And here he just says, hey, I'm going to make my own altar. And we're going to do all the atonement stuff here. And every tree I can find from the north, south, east, west, I'm going to burn incense and do what I want. And that's what we have here. That's, to, that's, that's Christ, American Christianity 2016. Everyone just gets to decide what they want, what to believe. But as you read through Isaiah, they talk about the remnant. And at times, they talk about the remnant as a stump. Has anyone ever cut down a tree and left the stump there? And a couple years later, a shoot pops up. It's like life comes out of that stump. And you know... The pressure of going through cutting a tree down. That tree, it looks as if it's lost its life. It looks as if it's lost the battle, as if the time is over. And there's a correlation between Isaiah and where we're at now. The tree's beginning to be chopped down. And it's an ugly process. And it's a hard process. 
because you get called names and you um, often come off as if you hate people. And the word of God is true. And we believe that and we have to stand on the word. But the cutting down of the tree is a harsh action. But that stump is the remnant. Out of that, it produces the shoots. And that's what happened with Israel. Okay, There was a stump. And out of the stump came the Messiah. Right, He, he was the shoot that came off of the stump. And so, even when it looks like we're a tree and we're about to be chopped down, even when we look at it and we say, man, I, America's looking bleak. The pastor said, the fifth largest country in the world of unchurched people. We would be, in America, that's unchurched people in America, the fifth largest country in the world. That's bleak. But stay true to this and remember that God is in control. And even with King Ahaz, he came through and fulfilled his promises. He's faithful. He's faithful, church. Uh, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And hopefully the song has a bit of a different meaning. Um, and if you guys could play, come to the altar again. This altar is, is signifies so much. And King Ahaz didn't understand that. And that's I, one thing I thank Pastor Joe for. You know, we don't have basketball hoops in here, and these aren't our benches on Tuesday night basketball league. Because that happens in America. This altar is a place of sacrifice. It's a place of atonement for sin. It's also a place of intercession. Remember that. We can't just grocery store our, our, our faith either. We can't just pick and choose what we want to believe. We have to be grounded on the word and understand and know our scripture.